we're in a series on parenting. It's called Impressions. We've been on a little bit of a journey, as you can tell by my visual elements here. We've kind of watched some things grow and other things uh, die. Good try, buddy. I think, I think what I love about series, if you've been here from the beginning, uh, we, we've been building some things. Well, you don't start something sometimes and uh, just blurt it all out. That's naturally my style, is to kind of overwhelm you with words and conversation. <laughs> if you talk with me, I'll just tell you every thought in my brain in the first 10 seconds. But if you want to go a little further than that, if you want to build and actually have a conversation, um, I think it takes a little bit of time to process together. So I hope, if you've been here since the beginning, that you've had a chance to process some things. But if you haven't, um, I hope that today you'll get a chance to see how these blocks have built and maybe go back and watch. Um, one of the things that's been so exciting about this series is we've kind of noticed, I don't know, you probably have to, uh, we have a lot of young families in our church, uh, a lot of little kids. Um, some of you have tripped over one or stepped in a mess that one of my kids made. Um, or you've just noticed when you stay for a meal that there just seems to be this little, like, you know, waves of children, like Lord of the Flies going on in the back of the church or something. And I think what's, what's awesome about that is that it gives us a chance as a church to recognize that that's, a, that's the future. Uh, we have a youth group, um, and I say youth group is like fourth through high school that has on an average, I think like we were running like right around like 80 to 90 between those age groups on a Wednesday night. And that's like insane. You come here and you see 45 middle schoolers blowing every roof tile in here with a ball for no reason, just because they thought they could, and every high school leader losing their hair the long hair, like me. And you wonder if maybe we need to focus in and ask some different questions. And so this series has been an attempt as a church to kind of recognize the opportunity that each of us has to make an impression. Now, it's not limited to those age groups, and it's not meant to just be about those age groups. We know that it continues, and today is the finishing thought of this idea that parenting never ends, no matter how old your kids get. Uh, parenting never stops. Um, I've never met a parent that doesn't still think about their kids as that first kind of image that they have. I, my, uh, my kids have been watching Toy Story 3 on repeat for about two weeks. I don't know if you guys have seen Toy Story 3. It might possibly be the saddest movie of all time. The end of Toy Story 3, I'm going to ruin it right now, but if you haven't seen it yet, it'll still be sad. The culmination is Andy, the boy that these toys have been helping learn how to play and grow, uh, literally takes his toys and gives them to a neighborhood daughter, uh, a friend. And uh, this girl's four or five years old, and he literally shell, like literally gets on his knees and like explains each toy and what it meant to him. And then hands it off, and then at the very end, he like drives off, and all the toys are sitting on the porch, and they're like, see you later, partner. <laughs> and it is like one of those moments as a parent, like I'm watching this with my kids, so it's just a cry fest. I mean, it's just a cry fest every time. 
Like, I watched it on repeat, and every time I'm like, it's not going to get me. <laughs> You're playing with a toy! Like, I, like, it just wrecks me. Because it doesn't matter how old your kid is, that's the image that you have in your mind. Is your little boy. Your little girl. So parenting adults... I think is one of the most challenging things you could ever do. It is. And we're going to talk about it. And I hope today is a conversation because I don't know if you realize this, my kids aren't adults yet. So I haven't done it. But I've watched quite a few of my high school and middle school students become adults. And I've watched how it's changed my influence. And I already see the challenge that's coming. I already see the challenge that's coming. I want to remind you of the verse that we've been using this entire time. Uh, it, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, it says this. I want to read it to you one last time. We've used this every week. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give you today are to be on your hearts, deep inside of you. Impress them. This has been our our thought impressions, impress them on your children, talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. It's a beautiful description, easy to apply for them as God is redefining them as ex-slaves and new heirs to a new kingdom. And he's saying, impress this. Remember, remember. I want to remind you where we came from. The first week we said, you impress what you are. You impress what you are. The second week I said, you are going to teach little kids as well as the newest friends in your life are going to watch how you act. They're going to watch you more than anything. They're just watching you to see how to live. And then last week I said, we can give people, we can treat people as projects, teenagers, that doesn't just mean the age, people that are not quite there in wisdom. We can treat them as projects or we can help them develop tools and we can empower them. And this week, we're just going to take those ideas and we're going to try to figure out how to do it once they get outside of your home. Three thoughts that I have to kind of give you before we jump into today's idea is this. Uh, your tone will always matter just as much as the truth you're speaking. Your tone will have a greater impact or as much of an impact as the truth you're speaking. And I don't mean to say this as if you say stupid stuff in the right tone, it's going to sound smart. It's not what I mean at all. I just mean you can say really smart stuff in the wrong tone and no one will hear you. Um, repeating anything that you want someone else to do 10,000 times works. My kids say please and thank you because of that. That's all it is. It's like a natural response. They don't have the heart of it yet. They just do it. They're like, yeah, please, sure. <laughs> like, oh, get the heart soon. But it always works this way. Even later. Even later. Consistency of boundaries creates healthy defaults. 
being consistent with what you say is the things that you value most or the boundaries in your life, the things that you have, being consistent in that teaches a healthy default. When they don't know what to do, when you don't know what to do, you fall back on what you know. You fall back on what you said before the crisis hit. Healthy boundaries create healthy defaults. And I said three, but the last one is just so super simple. Just do hard things and don't run away from them. That's for you parents and for the kids. Today I want to start with a simple verse. It's in Matthew 18, and it's probably one of my favorites. When I got into children's ministry, when I was early on in my 20s, this was the verse that just spoke to me the most, and it's still verses that have a huge impact on me today. It's Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, and it is just a cool section of scripture where the disciples are arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom, and Jesus always loves to answer this question because pride is one of his favorite things to deal with because he's God, and so it's easy for him to just be like, okay. Just talk about this for a second. <laughs> and I love Jesus' response in this because for most of us in here, we think when we become adults that it's going to be this grand moment where like all of a sudden this like light shines down and all of a sudden everybody recognizes you as the adult. And it just never happens. <laughs> so you just constantly have to convince yourself that I'm the adult. <laughs> I'm the adult in the room. I have to do this. And this is the moment that Jesus is speaking into that interaction of pride, wanting to know how to become great in the kingdom, wanting to know how, what it would look like to have status under this reign that Jesus is saying he's going to bring. And this is his response, and it's really, really it's brilliant. At this time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. It's kind of a neat thought right here. They're all sitting in a circle. He said, Hey, come here over here, Timmy. Stand in the center. Right? He said, truly I tell you, unless you change to become like this little, like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Pause. Okay, the, the cultural significance of this cannot be understated. They didn't even name children sometimes for extended periods of time early on because they didn't live long enough. In the cultures that these people are being born, they literally were worried, ah, he's not two yet, we can't name him. They would literally just be the boy, you know? Now, in the Jewish realm, they at least gave significance because they wanted their name to move on, but they had no faith sometimes that that child would be worth anything until a certain age, until he could know something, until he could give something back to the family. So they're like the least on the planet. All they are is life-sucking, money-draining, resource-taking, sex puns. You know what I mean? And I, still, I told you that in the first week. I still feel like that's what they are. That's my heart sometimes. You give me nothing. And so he sits him in the center and he goes, this, this, unless you become like this, you cannot inherit nothing. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child, see, that's why he states it, the lowly position that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the moment where they're starting to pick up on the fact that it's not going to be through their effort that greatness is going to be achieved by salvation. They're starting to pick up on the fact they need to depend on someone else to get salvation. 
Can you see the narrative in this? Because here's how he ends this section, or in the middle of this section. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. I like the clarification there. If you make one of these little kids, if you keep one of these people from believing in me, it would be better for them to have large millstones hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Wait a second. I thought we were talking about children. I thought we were talking about kids here. Hmm. Interesting. Such things must come. But woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Okay. It'd be better for you to enter eternal life maimed and crippled than to have both hands or feet be thrown in eternal fire. He's not done. And if your your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. At first, it seems like a really complicated section, right? You're like, okay, so we're all going to have to cut our hands off and gouge an eye out before we leave, (laughs) right? Because none of us have made mistakes. The whole point of this passage is the very beginning. Here's the thought. No one left that conversation thinking they did it. They're going to make it on their own. They've never done anything wrong. All of them, by the end of that conversation, felt like little kids. He humbled them. Because the two things he brings up are this, your actions and your perspective. That's your hands and your feet and your eyes. Have any of you ever done anything with your hands or your feet you regret? Have any of you ever changed the perspective on something? Grown in wisdom and understanding? Have you ever ever had a moment where you're like, ooh, that was dumb. Thought that was the way to go. Wasn't the way to go. That wasn't it. The whole point is by the end of this section, they're supposed to feel like little Jimmy. Little Timmy in the center of the circle. They're supposed to go, oh, oh, I'm not so good anymore. I've made mistakes. And in that moment, what he's trying to prove is that we all come to the Father the same way. We all come to Jesus the exact same way in need of a Savior in need of help, in need of purity, of hope, broken and hurting others. We all come the exact same way. So here's my thought process with you. Do you parent your kids this way? Even when they're adults? Have you thought about this before? This is an element of parenting that I think we so rarely think about. 
There's something being pulled out in the center of this. I want to give you four quick thoughts about parenting this age. And I'm not trying to put everybody in this age, because if you don't have kids that are this age yet, or if your kids have grown up or gone, or if you haven't had the opportunity to have a child be this age, or if you're just in a relationship with some people that are a little younger than you, that's one of my favorites. If you're just a generation up, and you're like, somehow have some influence with some kids that are a little younger, you're like, holy smokes, how do I talk to them? What do I they keep talking about getting clapped and going YOLO, and I don't know what those things mean. I don't know how to talk to them. There's four thoughts that I have, four quick ones. First one is this. Unsolicited advice will be heard as criticism at this age. If you're trying to parent an adult, unsolicited advice will be heard as criticism. You ever had this happen with you? I remember this is uh, the way that it happened with me. Uh, I uh, made a financial decision that I told my dad about. I won't tell you the exact financial decision because I want to hear your criticism. All right? The financial decision was stupid. All right? It was just flat out. It wasn't a good one. And in the moment, I told him what I did, told him how I did it, and the first thing out of his mouth was, why'd you do that? And I don't remember anything else he said. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had this happen? Maybe it's not with your kid, coworker, friend. They do something stupid. They tell you about it with a smile and excitement, and all you do is you're like, oh, you bought that? <laughs> oh, yeah, looks good. You did what? Oh, yeah, I guess she's super excited for you. In the back of your mind, you would love to tell them your advice. Unsolicited means they didn't ask for it. How many of you guys are just talkers in that moment? You're just going to tell them how it is. Be honest with me. Who's the person who's just like, you deserve it? I'm going to tell you how it is. I got two of you? Y'all are liars, all right? There we go. See, that's the personality test. That's all this is, long enough. How many of y'all, though, peace is the priority? Whose peace is the priority at this point? You ain't never going to tell them an advice. You just let them jump off the bridge. Good luck, buddy. Fly! <laughs> you can do it. But listen, when it's someone you've watched for years, and you've poured wisdom into, and you've taught them different, and you said it 10,000 times, you default told them the boundary, and then they just... <laughs> this gets a little harder. This goes with the second one. Listening is more important than teaching at this stage. And you're like, wait a second, what are you talking about? I'm not saying teaching's not important. I'm just telling you right now, you need to know this. Where is their heart at? And you're not going to know where their heart is, what is inside them, what they're thinking, what they're processing, why they chose, unless you are good at listening. 
That goes for friendships. That goes for marriages. When any someone makes a stupid decision, our natural response is to teach them different rather than listening to what happened. It's one of my favorite things that God does with us. Before he ever tries to teach us, he says he is willing to listen if we will reach out. Before we change what we do, before we come to him with repentance, he is still willing to meet with us and to talk with us. The prodigal son, the father runs in that story to the son before the son admits anything. He's on his way to listen, to hear. If you do this well, if you do this well, it will give you opportunities because they will listen. You'll listen, you'll repeat, you'll hear it, and guess what they'll ask for? Advice. You've listened well. You haven't been super critical. You haven't given unsolicited, and you've listened to their heart, and you will have that moment. You don't get to decide when it is, though. It's not what happens. Third thing, sharing your life is more important than protecting at this stage. Sharing your life is more important than protecting. And I mean this by this. A lot of us in here have some baggage that we don't like to tell certain people. But then certain situations come up with adult kids or with friends or with people we're close to, and we would rather protect and not share it, not talk about it. And so what ends up happening is they have to Google it or they have to ask somebody who will talk about it, and then they don't go to you. Because in the heart of protecting them, you're unwilling to talk about the very things that they need to hear. And it's your story. They need to hear about your successes, but they also need to hear about real life. They need to hear about real life. The muddiness of it, the difficulties of it, the hardships of it. If you don't interact in this way, and if you're not willing to extend some trust in this way, it will leave you to a place where they will constantly feel like you are here and they are here. But in truth, you are both walking together now. Trying to figure this out. Share your life more than you protect. There's always going to be chances to protect, but I'm telling you, sharing your life is way more important. One of the keys to this here is this. Other healthy adults in their life is immeasurably important at this stage immeasurably important. If you do not attach your kids in high school, in middle school, to other healthy adults, they are going to have limited wisdom. They're just going to have limited wisdom. Limited opportunities. One of the first things I'll do if a student comes up and they want to learn a field, they're like, I want to go into nursing, or I want to be this, or I want to do that. I Immediately, I'm like, I know somebody. I know somebody who's in that field. Uh, they, they've been in that field for two years. I would love for them. I would pay for lunch for you to go to lunch with them. Like just, just to ask the question, to get attached and to learn about what that field's about. 
You know, coming to youth group, I think the number one thing that we did well here at Kingsway was the leaders that poured their lives into the students. The example that those leaders are, the example those leaders still get phone calls and texts. I'll find out they're doing things with the students and they're still interacting after high school. And I'm like, oh, they haven't called me. This is an immeasurable thing. You cannot. There will be a time when your relationship with your kids is not healthy. You will want someone else healthy in their life. You'll want that. Them reaching out to that, talking to that, attach that, encourage that, pay for it. I mean, can you imagine if you look at your kid, look, you can go to any restaurant you want. You just got to take this guy with you. What do you mean? Listen, take some notes, all right? Go to lunch. Well, that's weird. No, no, no. <laughs> you can learn something. You need to grow up. How many... In the most non-creeper way ever, because I don't want this to just be like a bunch of adults just going around to high school and young college students going, hey, take you to lunch. Every high school and college student here was like, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> But if you build a solid relationship and you have a few conversations and you start to just feel like, hey, there's some, there's some things that I've learned about by listening to your life. And there's some things that I've seen in your eyes when I've shared a little bit of mine that I think we could go a little further. And by reaching out and just saying, hey, let's get some coffee. Hey, what if, what if you just came over and you, you, you watched as we had a family meal? What if you just came over and sat with us? So we had a family meal, and we just, just got to see, talk a little bit further. You want to talk about what that would do? Sam Peterson, seventh grade. I still remember his name. He was a contractor in Oregon. He did no ministry experience, knew very little about the Bible, but he opened his home up. I was a pastor's kid. I had a father and mother that were extremely supportive and loving, but I didn't have somebody that was outside of the ministry field to believe that that was a life that could be lived. And I remember sitting with Sam at his dinner table, and his family seemed normal. And it was mind-boggling to me. I'm like, wait, you're not in ministry? This is weird. Oh, you don't know where Exodus is in the Bible? But you still seem to be doing pretty good. My little seventh grade mind just, just blew up to, to, to the thought that this is a viable option because you know this, in some time frame, could be a month, could be 10 years, could be 10 minutes, your kids are going to think you're the dumbest person that's ever lived. They're just going to think you are dumb, you're a cheat, you're a fake, you are not who they said you said you were. They see the truth, the veil is torn, and in that moment, if there is no one else in their life that they can go to that's healthy, that has a clear perspective, can cause problems. Major problems. So that leads us to what I think is the non-negotiable. Ultimately, how do we parent adults? And there's only one word that I could come up with. I mean, guys, I pushed it. And I think if I had a, a really, really, really like stout, full answer to this, I could write a book because there's not much out there because it's like, it's a tough time. We got phones and internet, all kinds of new gadgets, craziness, self-driving cars, all right? Probably going to go to Mars in the next, I mean, like, we're just, it's craziness. How do we do this? 
It's the only way. It's humbling. This is the only way that we can have deep, impactful, lasting relationships. Is to have a humble heart. Now, the definition of, of humility or, or humble is this. is having or showing a modest or low estimate of one's own importance. You know how many parents elevate themselves in every conversation with their teenager or their young adult? I watch it happen. You're not as smart as I am. Ah, you was dumb like you once. Constantly lowering and putting in the place. Making them feel like they're not quite what they could be. And at the same time, elevating themselves. Watch it happen. And I've done it a lot. I feel it sometimes. They think I'm up here on this pedestal, and then they watch me play video games, and they're like, oh, he's normal. Or they watch me eat half a pizza. I like he still likes pizza. Why I think this is really important is because there's something going on in this stage that has been the works of everything that you've led up to. Uh, you have planted a seed. You have watched it grow. You've changed the pot. You've empowered it. It's now flourishing and trying to take on things, but then it's got to do something that all of us are working hard to do. It starts with... John chapter 15, when Jesus says this, and it's a beautiful passage, but it says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will what? Bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. There's something that has to happen when they get to this age, when we all get to this certain age where we have worked towards, been getting to, starting the process that now we are going to live in the harvest. The thought continues, and I love how Matthew rep- records this other thought, and he's talking about fruit again. Jesus, this idea of fruit, and I love it. Make a tree, make a good tree, and its fruit will be good. Make a bad tree, and its fruit will be what? Bad. Oh, man, logic, crazy. For a tree is recognized where? By its fruit. And then he's talking to the Pharisees. This is always a... You never wanted to be a Pharisee because he said stuff like this all the time. You brood of vipers! Poison in their words. How can you, who are evil, say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Ooh, remember. It was in you. Somebody ate some of my fruit snacks this week. It was in you. A good man brings out good things from the good stored out of, uh, up in him. And an evil man brings out evil of the evil stored up in him. Do you recognize what this is saying? Both of these are saying this. We all live in the harvest of our choices. We all live in the harvest of our choices, of our actions, our hands, and our feet, and our eyes. What we choose to see as the truth and the wise way to live and the value that is in every single person and who we choose to find that value through. And 
how we respond and what we choose. That is every single person's choice. You cannot make that choice for your kids. You cannot be there. It's in them. You can impress on them. You can tell them to watch you. Watch me. Watch me as I do. You can empower them to make the choice. You can give them the tools. But you cannot grow the fruit for them. That's their choice. That's their choice. And I'll tell you, as a person who leads the minister who's supposed to be in charge of people, to help people grow, help people find full life. That's literally what we're all about here. I can't control you. I can't control what you choose to say and do. I, I can't make you grow. That's your choice. It's where all of us are at. And I think for most of us in here, if I'm being honest, we recognize the battle that this is with students, with young adults, because we recognize it's a lifelong battle. It's not just a stage. Pruning, making new choices. Because I've told you this before, some of you are living in the harvest of choices 20 years ago. And it's painful, and it's difficult. And some of you are living in the choices of someone else. And the fruit that they put into this world that hurt you. So the way we approach this is with humility. Recognizing that all of us, all of us, started as a seed. And God didn't desire us to stay a newborn. God desired us to, to grow and to bear fruit. Because we're not into staying seeds, we're into building healthy trees that build and grow good fruit. Let me repeat this to you. Ready? Unsolicited advice will be heard as criticism if you're not careful. Listen is a way more important than teaching. Share your life. It's more important than protecting them. Share your life. Talk about life. Other healthy adults, a community, is immeasurably important. And ultimately, it's going to come down to your tone, your humility, your continuous desire to seek God as your vine, to see Him as the thing that... that maintains and causes you to grow. To teach them that tool. To pour in the words of wisdom that you've learned 10,000 times into them 
constantly. And to not run away from hard things because Jesus didn't run away from the cross. And to not run away from discomfort or pain, but to choose to see that God works through it in incredible ways. I'm going to end with my passage that it's just been on my heart this whole time. It's Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. It's this. As a parent, as a, as, as a community, if we're tired, listen, I know this morning we all woke up to like a thousand pounds of rain a second. Torrent that is Missouri now. And it was easy to just stay in bed and just go, oh gosh, yes, look at this noise machine God made for me. I get it. But you're here. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Rules, not relationship. That's what religion is. This is a relationship. Come to me. Get away with me. Oof. Get away with me. And you'll recover your life. Some of you, your kids are going to make bad choices. And they're not going to come back. It's their choice. But that's not where your salvation lies. And for those of you that walked away, come back. I'll show you how to take real rest. Not sleep. Not a break. Not a cold drink. Real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. You impress what you are. You tell people to watch you as you follow Jesus. You empower them with the tool to follow Jesus as well, and then you walk with them. That's what you do with your kids when they're adults. You walk with them. You just say, I'm with you. I'll listen. I'll help when you ask. And I will humbly be at the same foot of the cross with you. Asking Jesus to do the same thing that I've been asking since you were a seed. And since I was a seed. To offer full life. To keep leaving it in your heart.